The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. All right, let's keep uh, moving along. This has been such a weekend. Uh, now, President Trump has stated many times that the initial American tariffs on Canadian steel and aluminum products were in response to the U.S. paying prices up to 270% higher on dairy and poultry than they should be because of unfair Canadian trade practices. In an Edmonton Journal interview, Albert Camps, vice chairman of Alberta Milk, the organization representing the province's dairy farmers, called Trump's rhetoric very twisted. Uh, Albert Camps joins us now. Thanks for taking the time today, Albert. No problem. Thanks well, for having me. Welcome to the show. Let's start off uh, pretty basic because I think it can be a little confusing at times, actually. Can you explain to us and our listeners how dairy product pricing is determined in Canada? In Canada, we have a cost study that takes random farms across the country, and we actually look at what it costs to produce a liter of milk, and we have a formula that sets a price so that half of those producers cover their cost of production. In exchange for that, we guarantee that we will meet the market, we will fill the market, and we will not overproduce. But in order to do that, we need to protect what comes across our borders. We need to know how much will come across. All right, and the product that could come across the borders comes from a country that has a huge overcapacity to produce. Is that correct? It can. Now, what we've done uh, with all the trade agreements, which we signed literally dozens of them over the years with supply management in place, um, we've granted some access. In fact, 10% of our dairy products in Canada are imported from other countries. And those are imported without paying any tariff. The tariffs only come after those agreements if they want to import more into Canada. Okay, so we want to just really break this down for our listeners. Okay. Um, so you have an industry in the United States, uh, agriculture in general, but specifically dairy and poultry, which is heavily subsidized. You have yeah. an industry in Canada, dairy and poultry, which is heavily regulated. That's correct. <laughs> right. In fact, there are no subsidies in Canada for our dairy. Uh, we compare that to United States, where they spend about $22 billion a year on dairy subsidies. Right. So, now, if we were to just remove these tariffs, what would be the outcome? Well, the outcome right now, as the United States has been in an overproduction um, sequence for many years, we, our market would be flooded. In fact, the state of Wisconsin could provide all of Canada's dairy needs with their production alone. <laughs> All right, so let me stop you there for a second because, uh, and I'm on your side on this one, trust me. Um, but our listeners, in anticipation of our conversation and as a result of talking to, uh, to our political scientists in the last section of the show, are saying, well, wait a minute, isn't that a good thing? Doesn't that mean that Canadians will pay less for dairy and poultry? Uh, our prices right now are very comparable to United States prices. In fact, we pay no more for our dairy here than you would for your broccoli or your beef or anything else. Um, it just, uh, the way our country is distributed geographically, it costs more to get food to where it needs to go. Okay, so given the scenario that we talked about, so the tariffs are gone, the American product comes across the border into Canada, Canadians pay approximately the same amount then for dairy and poultry, but there has to be a ramification to a whole lot of dairy producers. 
well, that's something we're all afraid of. No, um, our whole industry would be absolutely turned into turmoil. Um, you know, we've, we've made long-term plans with these long-term stable arrangements uh, for our farms. You know, if we know that we are going to get a decent re- return for our product for years to come, we'll make those long-term investments, which are good for animal welfare, good for the environment, you know, good for all those other things. And am I right that I read somewhere, and I just couldn't put my finger on it in anticipation of this conversation, but American dairy producers specifically, not poultry, but dairy, um, destroyed something like 100 million gallons of milk last year? Yes, there's been large-scale milk uh, dumping in the United States, and that's um, part of the problem is the overproduction. There is not enough processing in the United States to handle all of that milk. Um, When margins become tight in their type of market, farmers produce more units to try to make a living. Right, and then they have to dump the excess into another market. That's what's happened, yes. Right. And that's why we have anti-dumping legislation, and that's why we have anti-dumping tribunals, and that's why we have the tariffs that we have, is to prevent that overcapacity from coming into the country at a dumped price, or in other words, a price similar or less than what they sell in their domestic market, which would, it would have no effect on the consumer but it would have the effect of putting many dairy farmers out of business. Well, if it had an effect on the consumer, it would be very short-lived. And imagine being uh, in an industry where your market could be flooded for two years and then shorted in supply for the next two years. That's how the cyclic nature of the dairy industry works. So are you saying then that the long-term outcome of this would actually, the impact on consumers would be higher prices for dairy and poultry? Be very unstable prices. Hmm. Yeah. In fact, if we look at countries where they've dismantled supply management, uh, specifically Australia, New Zealand, and the UK, the cost to consumers for product actually went up, while the price farmers were paid went down substantially. So, you're you're the vice chairman of Alberta Milk. Yeah. You're also a dairy farmer. Absolutely. Are, are you sleepless at night right now, feeling as though you're in the... You're crosshairs. In the, yeah, the crosshairs of politicians. It makes my son is fourth generation just coming into the farm now, and it makes me nervous about that. So what do you do? You just sit and wait right now? Yeah, we sit and wait. When I started, it was the World Trade Talks and the GATT Talks, which made me nervous. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting thing because it, it, I mean, we're talking to Dwayne... Uh, Dwayne... Uh, Brat. Brat, yeah, I, thought I was going to say Dwayne Goat, he's a comedian. Uh, Dwayne Brat uh, about, uh, you know, the G7 and just politics in general and Trump. And I was saying it was just an interesting, it was an interesting commodity that President Trump picked because it's an, uh, actually a very confusing commodity. Most people just look at that 270% tariff and they go, well, that's protectionism and it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but it isn't just that. First of all, it's up to that. And secondly, as you mentioned, the tariff only kicks in after a certain time. And I, is it 10% comes in tariff-free? Is that right? That's right, yes. It, once, you know, there's a, a, a non-quota, or there's a tariff rate quota, which um, is exempt from all tariffs. And it's beyond that point where it kicks in. Wow. <laughs> it's, Quite it's, frankly, it's never meant to be used. It's meant to be a barrier beyond that point. Right. Because we need to know how much comes in to manage our market. So, you know, and, and I think you've explained it well, and I think it was, some of our listeners are starting to text say they're understanding it for the first time, which is great. Um, to put it in even more regular terms, um, 
Agriculture in general is a sketchy business. I mean, I don't mean it's a sketchy Not business. Sketchy. Not sketchy. Yeah. It, it's an unpredictable mm-hmm. business. It is. Right. So this this regulation of pricing has put some predictability into it for dairy and poultry producers. Dairy I, I'm, I'm cons- have, yeah. yeah. Now, you take that away. I'm, I'm trying to put it in terms that a regular listener, myself included, I guess it would be like negotiating a long-term mortgage on your house and then having the bank say, we've changed our mind. Yeah, we've changed our mind, we've changed our rate, and your boss at the same time decided to only pay you half what he was. <sighs> yeah. Wow, okay, well, how, what, I, I mean, as a group, uh, I, I'm sure that you're, you're uh, making every effort to get your message out to the we politicians. Are, and it's very hard to, to understand and, and how to um, work with a person like Mr. Trump. It's like he either doesn't understand or he chooses to ignore facts that should be provided to him to make a coherent position. Yeah, you wonder, don't you? <laughs> you really do. That was my question as well, is just, did he pick this commodity because it's so confusing? Or, or, or... I think he chose this commodity because the oversupply problem has been ongoing in the U.S. for several years now. And when he campaigned, the farmers told him, we're hurting, we're in trouble in the United States. And we can feel for them with that system. Um, You have times when you lose money on every liter of milk you ship. And he promised to do something, and he's trying to fulfill that promise. But I don't think he understands that destroying Canada's industry won't help his industry at all. How many dairy farmers, poultry producers are there in Alberta? There's about 520 in Alberta. And how many of them do you think would be out of business if these tariffs were removed? Me. How many do you think would go out of business if these tariffs were removed? That would be speculating. It would depend on the prices and how much milk actually moved and all of that. But um, if we look at other countries like Australia, they lost a third of their farmers <sighs> almost immediately after their regulated system disappeared. There definitely would be losses. There's a though. lot on the line yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. Interesting stuff. Uh, Albert Camps, Vice Chairman of Alberta Milk, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to us. I think it's an important topic, and I think Mm -hmm. information is important on this one for everyone to understand what we're dealing with here. One of us was just sitting back and taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) Albert, thank you so much, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again down the road sometime. Okay, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. It's confusing. It is confusing. And as you know, Jay, like way back in the day when I worked for Algoma Steel, yeah. I was in the yeah. dumping uh, department that we specifically steel and aluminum, right? <laughs> and we fought off people uh-huh. who dumped. And I learned a lot about dumping. And I mentioned drywall. Drywall is a great example of where we also had a 270% roughly tariff on drywall. And again, it seems like if you just look at that number, you go, Canada's charging 270%. That's ridiculous. But it isn't. If it, and it simply put, it's like this, and drywall is a great example. If, America, if Americans can produce drywall and sell it at a profit for a dollar a sheet, that's a pretty reasonable amount. Uh, their cost, we'll say, is 50 cents a sheet. So they're making 50 cents mm-hmm. on every sheet of drywall. That's good business. But if they over overproduce mm-hmm. and say they produce twice as much and they can bring that cost down to say 25 cents now they're making 75 cents a sheet except there isn't that amount of demand for it in yes, the states business isn't there yeah. right so what they do instead is dump it into another market like ours and they can sell it for 50 cents because it only costs them 25 cents to make so from a business perspective you go well hey that's great canadians get cheaper drywall um 
And then the government turns around and puts a tariff on it. The reason they put a tariff on it, because it would only take a couple of years to wipe out everybody in Canada who makes drywall. Exactly. Because they don't have the capacity yeah. to make it at 25 yeah, cents. Yeah. And the same thing's happening, or could happen potentially, to dairy and poultry. So it's not going to benefit you as you think it will that all this uh, the only people that will benefit are the american producers of of poultry and dairy and it will not benefit the consumer at all and if it does it'll be very short-lived and then that capacity they'll start raising their prices because you know what what, what happens when you've wiped everybody out in Canada, in that industry, you can do whatever you want. You do whatever you want with Absolutely, pricing. Yeah. So you need to protect the industry, and you need to protect the farmers. Two forty-six on the six thirty Chad afternoon news. We're talking about the milk business and tariffs and Canada and the mm-hmm. United States. And Always have to say poultry too. And poultry yeah. as well. Yeah. We want to do that. David from Ottawa wants to weigh in this afternoon. Hey, David. Hi, Jalen. Welcome back. Thank you. It's nice yes, to be back. Jeepers, honestly. The, I disagree with, with the quotas that we have in Canada simply because it stops the more efficient um, milk and poultry producers from getting the benefit because you, ha- you can only sell what you've got a quota for. That's the downside of it. But the upside of it for us is, as Andrew said, it stops dumping. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be 15 years, maybe more ago now, Overproduction in the States was so bad, the government actually paid dairy farmers to cull their herds. That's right. Kill them off. <laughs> because they, they just couldn't, ha- couldn't handle it anymore. Because they were subsidizing these people that were producing, they, there was no market for it. They were pouring it down the drain. But what they didn't do, the morons, was say, you can't get back into the business. So dairy farmers were, were culling their herds, collecting the money from the government, and promptly opening up again because they had all the facilities there ready to go. I remember those stories. I remember the stories of destroying... Was that like 70s, 80s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just, it was, I wasn't in radio or comedy back then, but I remember reading those stories and just thinking, so wait a minute, the government is going to, I could make a profit on actually going out of business. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's, Trump isn't, I can't make up my mind, I know he's an idiot. He's a thug in a suit. But I can't make up his mind whether he really doesn't understand or he will grab any baseball bat that he can and beat people over the head because he's always got away with that in business. What he doesn't understand is that people, can't, the people that couldn't afford to go to court to fight him are not the same as governments who will fight him anyway. He just doesn't get that yet. Yeah, I sort of... You know, I don't want to get all our Trump supporters hating on us on the Too first late. day back. Too late. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't figure it out either. I, I. I. I'm wondering if it's a negotiation tactic and nothing more that you go after the fly with a sledgehammer and then say, "Okay, I tell you what. Here's what I'll agree to." Or it just. It seems erratic at best, but maybe that's the strategy. Yeah, I think that's what it is. He, he doesn't understand sitting down and negotiating in, in good faith with somebody because his mode of opera, operation, modus operandi, has always been to bully people into giving him what he wants. If he doesn't get it, he doesn't care. But he gets more yeah. than he loses. Yeah, it's been show and bluster going in. Yeah, um, but it's changed yeah. now. You know, you're dealing with another government. You're not dealing with some small developer or something like that where take it or leave it and if you take me to court I'll just bury you in lawyers 
Yeah. David, thanks for the call. Welcome. Take Have it easy. Day. Yep. It's two fifty-three. Whew. Breathe. So coming up after 3 o'clock, yeah. we're going to talk uh, about uh, suicide. Uh, last week, Kate Spade died. Anthony Bourdain, which just is heartbreaking to, to so many. Both of them are in, in different ways. Anthony Bourdain, one of my all-time favorites. Uh, but we're going to talk about that. And then uh, Todd Hirsch is going to join us at 3.30 for another edition of uh, The Hoot. The Hoot. When has Todd Hirsch ever been the... Uh the light, comedic <laughs> part of the show. <laughs> we certainly put both feet back in pretty quick. Yeah. It was, was that kind of weekend, though. It was Vegas, by the way. Ah, disaster. Honestly. No, it was a good trip. Are you subsidizing Vegas now? <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that, uh, that the amount I left at the machines and the amount that's actually... Uh, tariffed on uh, poultry is about very similar <laughs> and we but we did more this trip than just gamble yes you so went to you we went, went on that big wheel on the wheel yeah we went to some uh, some shows we we went to one of the bars that was featured on Bar Rescue. Mm -hmm. um, there was just a lot of stuff. Those that are we, always fun to go to, and yeah. then you see how they're doing now. It's like, there's not very many people in here. There was nobody yeah. in there. Yeah. yeah. Which was really interesting. We talked to uh, the manager who was happy to tell us all about his Bar Rescue experience. It's kind of cool to watch a reality show and then yeah. get the reality of the show. So we did a lot of that stuff, and... and we had breakfast, you know, sent to the room, and we, we just... We spent a lot of money, frankly. That's a, so I you guess, had to come back to work. I had no choice. How about you? And how was your military experience? It was uh, it was good. It was very very busy. So I was out in Halifax for the honorary. Go to Citadel Hill. I did not. We, I had no. Listen to me. Mm. I had no added. I had no extra time. We would. It was six o'clock in the morning, um, all the way straight through till midnight. Like it was just nonstop. There was and no so, tour arranged for this. No, well, we did oh. tours of bases, right? So oh. we were out on the HMCS Charlottetown seeing the new Cyclone helicopter, um, the Sikorsky helicopter that's going to replace the, the Sea Kings coming up. We saw that. Saw all sorts of really cool things, but just very, very busy. So mm -hmm. I added on an extra day. Oh, good. Saturday, my flight was at 4 o'clock. I had three hours I had three hours wow, to see Halifax. You know, that's almost, uh, that'd be a good trivia question. If you had only three hours to see Halifax, what would, what you, would do? you do? So, But I, I had to go see Pier 21 because that's where my family came through. So I spent a oh, long nice. time walking through there and yep. really, really powerful um, exhibits there. And it, it was unexpectedly emotional knowing really? that that's where my, my grandparents and my dad came through in 49 when they moved to Canada. Halifax has done a great job developing their harbor. I'm oh, sure yeah. You, you went down and looked well, at it. Well, then walked all along there. Yeah. Had my first ever lobster roll. How was it? I didn't... Eh, no, it was even. okay. Why would you bring it up then? But the chowder. Yeah. I ate mussels for the first time. Did you try a Donair? No, didn't oh, get to the Donair place. Hey, I had, lob I had lobster and mussels. That's pretty good. That's okay. I had three hours. <laughs> I know. That, that would be a lot of eating. I, I did the best I could in three did hours. Did you bring back any live lobsters? No, but I met the guy who owns the company. The company's called Clearwater. Oh, That's I know Clearwater. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're huge. Oh, yeah. I met yeah. the guy. I sat beside him at our mess dinner. Did he smell a little fishy? No. Really? He's a really cool cat. Um, he, that, I think we're going to have him on the show. I would love to have him on yeah. the show. He's a real entrepreneur, that Yeah, guy. from the back of the truck to now exactly. a multi-bazillionaire. He, he, as the story goes, we'll have to have him on yeah. the show, that he used to go and negotiate like half a dozen lobsters from a fisherman off his boat. That's how he got yeah. started. Yeah. And as you say, drive around in a truck. Truck and sell them. Yeah. 
He was fascinating. Hmm. Anyway, uh, it's good to be back. Uh, the 3 o'clock news with Randy Kilburn up next. The 6.30 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad.